Most of the time, we review books that we really like here on The Book Boys. Other times, we review books that stink. And when a book really stinks, we get fussy. So this is a warning that sometimes we'll swear on this podcast, or sometimes the material that we're reviewing will be adult in nature. So keep that in mind as you listen to this week's episode. So, Ben... You seem a little distracted. What are you doing? Ordering a book. (laughs) As if we didn't have this discussion. What book are you ordering, Ben? Uh, Flowers in the Attic. That's right. The 40th anniversary edition. Whoa, whoa, whoa. By V.C. Andrews. Is it extended like a director's cut? I hope not. (laughs) You hope not? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know anything about the book, so I can't say if it'd be good or bad. Uh... How's your week? Are you ordering right now? Should I wait? I was kind of starting the show, but... Yeah, I know, but I was in the middle of this, so... Okay, why don't you go ahead and just finish what you're doing? Yeah, I'm going to finish what I started. (laughs) (laughs) Take your time, Ben. Take your time. That big old thumb of yours is really just tapping slowly across that screen. Not quickly, like you think a person who's been using a smartphone for a while would be able to type each letter deliberately at a time. I'm not sure if I'm an existing customer. Oh. <laughs> I have to create an account. Still typing there, Ben? Yeah. You know, I've stolen your um, your trick of a, a caseless phone. I've stolen the idea. I'm attracted to it, Ben. It's nice, isn't it? It is nice. Yeah. Big old dumb case. What am I, 90? No, you're not 90. What, I have a hard time gripping things? No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> You're really good at gripping things. You make a great hype man. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm on stage talking about how badass I am, and you're like, it's true, he really is. <laughs> <laughs> he means everything he says. <laughs> I stand behind all of his statements. <laughs> he means everything he says. Um, really? Taking your time. I mean, you did a search for the book. Message. Is it telling you that you need to type more? Your order has been successfully processed. Great. You just ordered Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews, the 40th anniversary edition. It's true. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Ben. Yeah. (laughs) Now that that's out of the way. Uh Uh-huh. How was your week, Ben? Uh, Well, it's great. You know, I'm just... Going to the office every day for some reason, even though I have a company-issued laptop and cell phone. We're only two feet away from each other. Yeah, well, what difference does it make this? We're both vectors for disease. We are. We're already infected. How? Go on. I thought you were going to the office, too. No, they made they stopped making me go. Oh, okay. I thought you were still... It was like, okay. Oh, hey, I got my confirmation There you go. Nice. They're confirming my order. Nice. I don't, know why, I don't know why it took three minutes, but... Well, it's because it's a homegrown... There's probably a person actually writing up the email and hitting send is what's happening. Send this one to the press. <laughs> hey, fellas, we got another order. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to run over to the computer machine. <laughs> and then they fat finger the keyboard just like you do with the phone. B-E-N. That was for your benefit. All right, thanks. You put on okay. a little show for me? Uh, yeah, you know. Let's move on. So anyways, you had to go into the office. Yeah, every day, still. Because, You're a disease uh, carrier. You're in my home. You know, because we make countertops, so we're essential. <laughs> <laughs> you in grocery stores. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. And myself, just along with everyone else in my office, I, I work out of the sales and marketing office because I'm in marketing. We all have laptops and cell phones yep. issued by the company. Yeah. We have the tools to work from home. It's not but how you we're do not. it. It's just not how Americans do it. Well, it is. It seems like every other American company is doing that now. Mm. Not the real good ones, though. The ones that cast their blood like, on the stones of mortality. It's like it's us. And, and <laughs> I saw a story a friend shared with me. GameStop. They oh, told yeah. their employees to keep. Yeah, no, we, we're going to need you. GameStop declared themselves an essential <laughs> business. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's so annoying, though. Like, why... The morale is not high at the office. 
Let's no. put it that way. Um, Has there been any talk of... I mean, like, the governor is even saying stuff. I know. <laughs> is the Does that influence your Everyone CEO knows. at all? No. So the CEO, though, it's funny you should mention him. He's been... Work from home? <laughs> no, he's been in the office. I think he, he uh. thinks he's raising morale by doing the rounds more often. He's mm, he's God. walking around the floor a lot, like... I, Leaning Just in real shit, close, shit. breathing he, on you as he tells you he's yeah, really glad he you're in the office. Yeah, he gave me a fist bump the other day. Oh, my God. How um, old is he? 50? Probably, yeah. 50s. Yeah, those people still fist bump a lot. Like, yeah. was he doing it for disease reasons? Because that was supposed to be, like, sort of a running joke that people started doing for real and the elbow touching. Yeah, I don't... That's Yeah, it's, it's like a joke around there. So people at my level are concerned, like, why are we here? Hmm. But, like, all, everyone who's higher up, who, you know, they have offices that they can sequester themselves in during the day mm-hmm. they're all just joking about it like <laughs> social distancing <laughs> <laughs> and so it's absurd and then so we're going into the office every day mm-hmm. everyone's expected to be there yeah um, but then we're discouraged from having in-person meetings yeah my work was doing that too for a while so we're all in the same building like sitting next to each other but mm-hmm. no don't go into the conference room together you're going to you're going to have a conference call instead of an in-person meeting. I'm like, what difference does it make at this point? Well, cube we're walls, all in here. We're using the same bathroom and the same break room. And but cube walls work as giant filters, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's the bathrooms that are disgusting. It, uh, the men's room at my work is always horrifying. Yeah. You never want to sit on the toilet. There's always fresh pee drops on it. Our bathrooms are pretty clean, usually. No. Because no. we, have, we have a cleaning crew that's there, like, all day long cleaning Seems like. <laughs> like to the point of ridiculousness. Yeah, we're even there, just like, all right, it's one o'clock. We got to go again. <laughs> they they <laughs> do the whole building. Yeah, they clean the bathrooms several times a day. You'll, wow, um, that's intense. Yeah, so we're covered there, I guess. And then they they set up cleaning stations. So there's a table by oh, the yeah, door. Oh yeah, you sent with me a, a picture of that <laughs> with a yeah with a can of Lysol on it. Like problem yeah. solved. <laughs> Here, we even uh, print up this laminated sign for you so you know what to do with this. I know. I love that the can of Lysol, are you supposed to spray your hands with it? Like, I just love, what it, What are you well, supposed to do with that? There's a roll of paper towels on the cleaning station, too. The cleaning station consists of a can of Lysol. You're supposed to spray the Lysol on the paper towels? Yes. Oh. So there's a can of Lysol, there's a roll of paper towels, a box of Kleenex, and... For masturbation reasons? Uh, well... <laughs> Is and, there also and a, hand lotion? And a bottle of Purell. That, that's reasons. the cleaning station. All right. Well, that just confirms that. Um, but the job pays well. Yeah. You may spread disease to a person that uh, has a, a compromised immune system. Yeah. Or someone who is actually going to cancer treatment. We have a treatments. 75-year-old receptionist who works there. <laughs> For real? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. Well, so we're all putting her at risk. Oh, my God. She's going to be the first one to go. Totally. She's as yeah. good as dead. I know. You guys should stop making eye contact with her from now on. <laughs> start, the, start the mental disconnection yeah, early. She's, she's so sweet, too. Oh, my God. I'm going to miss this her. This is insane. <laughs> I love that you do that as you go up to get a refill on your coffee. And someone's saying, like, yeah, you're going to miss Janet? I sure will. <laughs> I mean, she had a pretty good run. Uh, <laughs> she made it to 75. I mean, yeah. It's better than a lot of people. Yeah. Back in the 1800s, I would have been pretty old. <laughs> you know, not nowadays. Yeah, you'd be good. yeah that's uh, that's horrible. Yeah. There's got to be a way to... Re- Can't you report them or something? There has to be something well, you can do to preserve yourself. I mean, or I guess I, take a ton of PTO, but then you become the big baby that took... A, like, some of the people in my work were saying they were going to do that, and every, even though everyone wanted to work from home... As soon as someone's like, I'm just going to take PTO, everyone kind of rolled their eyes. So there's a weird dynamic there. So yeah, no, I'm saving, I'm saving my PTO for when I inevitably get sick and am unable to work for two weeks. Yeah, exactly. That's when the PTO will come in handy. Have you hoarded food for the two weeks that you become sick inevitably? No, not yet. Yeah, you should probably get on that. Yeah. I haven't gone crazy with it. I only shop uh, once every other day, and I just pick up a few things. Like, I only get a basket. Yeah. I don't take a big cart and uh, just get a few things. And over time, I have a nice sizable amount of food that if anything does make me sick, I don't have to have my family come drop off food and stuff like at the door because I'm, I can't go to the store. I'm going to insist my family wait on me. Like come inside and touch you? No, I'm just drop you it make off them the bathe door. You? No, I'm going to make them drop food off of the door for me. Oh, all right, fine. All right, fine, jerk. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> My hype man takes a beating. He's really he could really take a take some abuse. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So is that it for your week? I think so. All right. Nothing else. Anyways, I just got a message that I saw show up on my computer from a friend who says someone on my team tested positive on Saturday. I talked to him today. I last saw him. I crossed paths with him on Tuesday night when I was in the office. So there is it is. A, a coworker of yours? Or no, this nope. This is just oh. a friend. Have you crossed paths with this friend since this no, friend was I haven't exposed. seen this friend in almost a year face oh, okay. to face. So don't, don't worry, then. I'm clean as hell. The only thing that's going to happen is, is it if... a knife fight? Knife, my friend knife fight Mark? No. Okay. That's no, not tattoo Mark either. Okay. No, this is a, a woman that I am only friends with. Okay, for now. Only friends with. For now. No, not for now, forever. We'll see. We'll it's see just how, not going to happen. Let's see how it plays out. What's the book we just read? It's called Station Eleven. Who wrote it? Emily St. John Mandel. Would she or would she not be an impish, uh, almost never aging vampire-like woman? Uh, judging from the photo on the back of this book, yes. Okay. How did you hear about this book, Ben? Um, well, it came out, I think, four or five years ago, and it was uh, critically acclaimed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had been on my my to-read list for a while. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it came up again. I heard uh, them talking about it on the public radio that I listen to often. What is the theme of the book, and why would it be on the public well, radio, Ben? They, it was timely because it's uh, it's about a flu pandemic that wipes mm. out most of humanity. That's true. And civilization collapses. <laughs> so this is a book that will make people feel better as they listen to it, uh, to us yeah. talk about it. Well, hey, we're timely. <clears throat> we are timely. Yeah. So let's dive into a, a little brief overview of the book. Yeah. Uh, it's divided yeah. up into sections with a million chapters. Yeah, let's keep it brief. Oh, my God. The format, then. Yeah. I know you hate the format. You just said brief. I'm going to hold you to that. Because it's, as we were discussing, this book, it's more literary than we're used to, and it's less about sure. plot and more about theme, I think. Mm, yeah, and character-driven. Yeah. And that's non-linear. It jumps around. Yep. All right. And it follows a lot of different characters. It does. You're so you're veering. Format, Ben. I'm going with my format. We're not doing your weird chaos theory format. That seems like we are, though, you're aren't super we? super cool punk rock, like you came in on a skateboard and said, I'm changing things up. You say we're not doing it, but we've been <laughs> doing it for a couple minutes now. We're doing it. Section one has a million chapters in it, and in that section, it describes a traveling caravan of actors and an orchestra. Yes. And the, the Traveling Symphony. The Traveling Symphony. That's why, for some reason, I was trying to bring to mind. <clears throat> They're doing a performance of King Lear in some small town. But anyways, uh, and that's kind of their job. They go from town to town performing plays, uh, and they have an orchestra that performs the music, and for some reason, everyone really loves Shakespeare in all these small towns they go to. Yeah, this is in the post-apocalyptic future, yeah. by the way. Yep, so, sorry. I left it all right. T- t- 20 years down the line. Is it 20? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah it's it 20 is 20 years. years. Yeah. Um, so then uh, they go from town to town and just perform, and that's how they make their money and everything. Um, and most towns love them, and they all love Shakespeare. The idea being that uh, Shakespeare wrote all of his stories during his own uh, disease-ridden time period. Plague! <laughs> and so somehow that speaks to the people far in the future dealing with their own. Um, but... It jumps back, it starts, it goes back and forth, the story goes back and forth between the time right before the flu pandemic hit, and then like 20 years after. So yeah. it starts out with a guy named Arthur, who, uh, I forgot his last name, but he's Leander. A, Leander. And he's an actor. He's a very famous actor, too. And he plays a central point in this whole story. He does, he kind of ties everything together. Yep, and he collapses while doing his own version of King Lear. Because he's, he's a very famous movie actor, but he's performing King Lear in live theater in Toronto mm-hmm. and he collapses and dies of a heart attack yep during his performance another man named Jeevan Jeevan yep who was a paparazzi and then tried to also at some point do his own uh, sort of like 
the Entertainment Tonight style journalism. Yeah. Now he's training to be a paramedic. A paramedic. So he rushes on the stage to try to help him. Um, eventually, Dr. Jacoby, a card- cardiologist, jumps in. But then another yeah, character that, that comes in so important. is Kirsten. Kirsten. He's a, a child actor. Child actor. She's about seven or eight years old, I think. Yep. And she's, a, she's on stage when Arthur collapses and sees it all happen. Yeah, she's playing one of the she's playing the role of one of uh, King Lear's children that don't really have a speaking yeah. role. They just kind of show up as ghosts. And I don't think I'm giving away too much by saying that we soon find out that Kirsten is one of the people in the Traveling Symphony 20 yep. years in the future. Yeah, and these are all pivotal people. So you have Arthur, Jeevan, and uh, Kirsten, are, they're constantly popping up throughout the story as it jumps back and forth through time. Yes. Uh, sort of tying them all together. Um, so, beyond that, um, I think at this point, Jeevan... Oh, yeah, that's when Jeevan is he's leaving and stuff uh, and saying, boy, I sure do love being a paramedic. I think this is the future for me. Uh, kind of proud of himself that he kept his head, which is another theme with, for him in this story. Yeah. He kept his head while everyone else was panicking. And uh, boy, I'm going to be a paramedic. Yeah. Then, I mean, he didn't save Arthur's life or anything. He still died. But at least Jeevan acted. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. That's yeah. what he's proud of. He, he, that he kept yeah. a cool he, head he during took a, action. a time of crisis. Yes. But then Jeevan's got a doctor friend who calls him and says, hey, everyone's dying in the hospital. Um, you've got to get out of town. Yeah. And it's an illness that's been... No, and it's been reported on. It was the Georgia flu. Yep. It started in the country of Georgia, not the U.S. state. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were aware of it from kind of vague news reports from the Ukraine and Russia and Georgia, that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it somehow made its way to North America, and it turns out this is a very serious illness. Mm-hmm. People contract it and die within hours. Yeah. And it's it very, very contagious. Real, real fast. Yeah. And uh, one of the big parts is later on... Um, they have a scene where at the airport, um, a plane, actually, I think the doctor on the phone call even talks about how a plane landed and it was full of people from Russia and the plane didn't even dock up with the uh, airport. It just pulled away as far away as possible and stopped and no one ever got out because they all died. Now, who, who's jumping around the book now? Yeah, I can't remember what That's like that chapter 40 or something. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> what about our structure? I swear they, mess- they mentioned it at one point uh, early on because then it was like talked about more later. Anyways, it's another hither there. Uh, section two, 20 years after the pandemic, you got the traveling well, wait, symphony. Wait, let's uh, talk about a couple other people who are introduced in section one. Do they have Miranda? Miranda was in section oh, one. Oh, yeah. she was. So Miranda is Arthur's first wife. Arthur, the famous actor, ends up being married to three people, we find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miranda is his first wife, though, and um, Arthur comes from a small town. Yeah, on an island shut up by about. Vancouver, and yeah. Miranda happens to be from the same place, so that's how they end up together. Yeah, his mom forces him to hang out. Um, but yeah, at the present day or whatever, they've been long since divorced. Yep. They didn't mention that she was working on the Station Eleven book at that early on, was it? I thought it was later. That's why I skipped over her. But yeah, she's okay. one well, of the ex-wives. Just introducing characters. I get it. Uh, there's also Frank in a wheelchair that G-Van lives with. Uh, Frank's kind of inconsequential. <laughs> so Yeah. So I don't know why you're mentioning him. Well, we're we're introducing characters. Well, but... I introduced Miranda because she's a character throughout the book. Whose format are we doing right now? Mine. Mine. <laughs> you're the one jumping around, though. 20 years after the pandemic. Are we in section two now? We're in section two now. Okay. There's um, nine sections, by the way. Buckle up, people. <laughs> hey, I skipped ahead pretty well. Uh, actors are traveling from city to city. Uh, Kirsten is one of them. Uh, is she an actor or is she a musician? She's an actor. She's an actor, yeah. Yeah. Her and her brother survived, and yeah. but then her brother died, and she was by herself, so then this traveling caravan kind of scooped her up. No, yeah. what job and he gave her, her at first. Brother, she was a toilet cleaner. Uh, incidentally, did not die of the flu. He died because he stepped on a nail and got an infection. How, uh, how did I miss that part? He did? Yeah. Did he get locked up? Like a year or two after the yeah. thing, so there was no... Oh. Medical care at that point. So, right. Kirsten made a, a point of mentioning in the book that it was a all too common way of dying. <laughs> you know, people were dying of all sorts of causes that they wouldn't have died of before the collapse of civilization. Um, so, you got Kirsten, you have uh, August, is a violinist um, who decided to start acting. I think that's where I was getting confused with that. Uh, then you also have. Who are some I mean, of the, Saeed is somebody that she dated for a while, and he's an actor. These yeah, are like he's, major he's characters like, that come up through the story. Aren't they that major, though? Saeed is. Like, he's a, kind of a big part towards the end, for sure. A little bit. Then, yeah, there's uh, Dieter. That is Kirsten's platonic friend that she's very close with through the story. Yeah. 
So there's some. Uh, I don't I know mean, how major they are, though. Yeah, they're big enough. <laughs> uh, it's neither hit or there. Um, well, I think the the major characters are Arthur, Jeevan, Kirsten, mm-hmm. Miranda, um, Arthur's second wife, and the lawyer Elizabeth. What's the lawyer's name? He's towards do the end mean, of the book. Do you mean Clark? Clark. He's not a lawyer, though. I thought he was a lawyer. He's like a consultant. He was talking to the lawyer. That's right. I thought he was a lawyer for some reason. He was a, a, a he, his thing was, and I think we learned this in this section, when they were having their anniversary, which when they were jumping back and forth through time, uh, they go back into the past at one point and they're having Just, just to be clear, they're... There's no time travel in this book. It's just the <laughs> narrative structure is such that the chapters bounce back and forth. Yes. Just want to make clear there's no people <laughs> in a time machine. I love that uh, I'm convinced as I read this, it's a story about a group of time travelers. <laughs> like We have a, two totally different discussions about this book. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Kirsten and August like to break into old houses and stuff, uh, and they're all about old things like TV guides and that kind of stuff. Kirsten is always looking for anything, gossip magazines and stuff that relate to Arthur, because she remembers Arthur giving her the Dr. Eleven Volume 1 uh, and Dr. Eleven Number 2. Those are graphic novels. Graphic novels uh, for Station Eleven. And um, she read them over and over and loves them so much. And she doesn't know anything about them. She's never seen anything else like them. Mm-hmm. All she knows is that the initials on them, the artist signed them MC, which is Miranda Carroll, Arthur's yep. first wife. So, so at some point, uh, one town that is a big deal is they go to a town called St. Deborah. Are we St. Deborah by the water? Are we going to quibble with stuff in the book right now, or are we going to wait till the end? No, you can quibble now if you want. So, they are traveling town to town, mm-hmm. and so in. They, they don't have exact numbers of how many people died, but it's yeah. almost all of humanity. There's over 99% of people are probably dead. Yeah. I So they're traveling town to town, and they're, they're these small settlements with, you know, just a dozen, couple dozen people in each one. Mm-hmm. Is Do you think that's what would really happen? Or would people congregate and form larger settlements? I don't like that. No, I, that's I, a good point. Because you'd think a motivator would be to rebuild some of the infrastructure that we have right now, you maybe would want running water and electricity. Yeah. And just to do that, you'd think you'd need, you know, some sort of scale of mm-hmm. settlement. So people would, I would think people would congregate in bigger towns and not be in these little villages isolated. Yeah. So that's one quibble. The other one is why, when they're going to these places, why do the people live in the Walmart and the gas stations and the fast food places. Why aren't yeah. they living in the abandoned houses? I don't get That's that. That's a good point, because I was thinking... Because, yeah, like all the people are living in these makeshift... Yeah, they're living in the Walmarts and like the Dunkin' Donuts and things like that. Yeah. And my thought was, those buildings are so not made for longevity. Well, and they're also just not designed for people to live in. No. Like, why would you want to... That would just be uncomfortable. You'd have to jury rig the place to make it... Like, oh, for sure. ...somewhere to live. So why aren't they just... Why aren't they moving into the houses? I don't get that. I was wondering that, too. Okay. I didn't specifically think that's a really good point, because I didn't specifically think, like, there's a million houses for them to go leave and want to do that. I was thinking, like, why would you live in a Walmart? Because the roofs are made of metal, and they're going to corrode over time, and you're going to be dealing with leaks, and you're going to be dealing with, like, animals getting in and all that stuff. Like, that's, like, the worst possible place to set up a life for the next 20 years. Yeah. So, but, yeah, a house would make so much more sense. Yeah. It's easier to maintain. Yeah, they're all there. Yeah, that is kind of a so weird why are you, thing. Yeah, why are you just rigging up a gas station to live in? By the end of the book, when they're making it clear that there's, like, some progress going on and some people they weren't aware of, I was thinking, well, clearly there's more people here than they were saying kind of in the beginning of the book. So it's like, yeah, why? I mean, clearly you don't want to live in the cities because it's too dangerous. Buildings be falling over and stuff. It's like structures decline. Yeah. So you go out into rural areas, but yeah, you get bigger group and have a system of government and you wouldn't have to deal with yeah, just, what St. Deborah's dealing with, which is uh, a cult has <laughs> taken over. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting angle that they talk about it later when Kirsten's being interviewed. Where she's like, the biggest problems are you go to a small town, and there's usually cults. <laughs> I kind of like that angle. It's like, well, I don't know if that's really like what would really happen, but I like the fact that that's a major problem for them. Like, uh, which kind of cult I, is running this place? <laughs> I think that part seems pretty plausible. I think that would be a default setting for a lot of people. Yeah, possibly. I mean, we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, that's true. All, all of the theories we're talking about in this book, we're going to find out. Mm-hmm. By May. Yeah, <laughs> soon. 
Um, so they go to St. Deborah, and Kirsten's looking for some old friends, uh, Charlie and Jeremy. They were, Charlie was used to be in the gang, but then she left to marry Jeremy and have a kid. Well, they just... Charlie and Jeremy, they were both in the Traveling Symphony, but they just left them in this town because Charlie was pregnant. Oh, I they, they, they were always too. intending to come back. They just thought it would be too dangerous for her to travel. So they're like, why don't you stay in this um, town and have this baby? We'll be back in two years because that's how the circuit takes us. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but they're not there. And so as they wander around asking people, one lady uh, tells them, you know, after a while playing coy and not giving any straight answers and being vague, she finally leans in and says... They left. This place is run by a cult. Yeah, Charlie yeah. was supposed to be given to the cult leader as like a bride. That's Char- why Charlie was a lady, by the way. No, yeah, I know. That, that. that was confusing at first when I was reading it. Her name um, was Charlotte. I think Charlie was a nickname. Oh, all right. Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Anywho, um, then they find uh, gravestones with their names on it and Annabelle, their child's name, on it. But it turns out the graves are symbolic. There's no disturbed earth. So they're like, what the hell is this? A little yeah. boy standing by says, when somebody leaves... Uh, then they symbolically say that they are dead. Yeah, and if they ever return, then they will be dead for literally real. dead. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah, the cult is run by just a guy just called the Prophet. Nobody knows his real name is. They have a big. Uh, before they leave the town, they they have their show, and um, they're kind of thinking like, last time we were here, we'd be playing music as they're walking down the street as they're entering the town. Like, hello, everyone, yeah. we're here, and and the children, the little bare feet, are running behind them, yeah. giggling and everything. But now it's just dead silent. Okay. That brings up another point. Hmm. You said the children running around with their little bare feet. Well, I just said that. No, but that's the thing. Like, they're so almost everybody died. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do people not have more stuff? Why are there? I know there people should be a surplus. Yeah, everyone. Like, should there's have a Walmart Louis in this bags. town. Like, you should be wearing Louis Vuitton bags as shoes. Yeah, because there's but that there much. There seems to be, and I know it's been 20 years, so some things mm-hmm. decay just, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, but you would think shoes. Like, there's a mention of. Uh, I think later some children had shoes and they were kind of makeshift shoes with the soles made out of old tires or something. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Like, well, surely there's a lot of extra <laughs> shoes laying around. I mean, it's it's kind of a minor thing, but it also was something that was kind of running through my mind was... We live in a land of excess, okay? If 99% of people died, we'd have plenty left over. <laughs> For us, thinking... the lucky 1%. Because I will survive. Oh, you will? I'm going to survive this play because I... I am the light. I bring the light, and I am the light. You have a beautiful body, Ben. That yeah. thing's going to survive anything. Uh-huh. That can survive high amounts of radiation if yeah. needed to during a nuclear war. How's your body doing after your two days at the gym and then the gym shut down? Yeah. Uh, my gut's big. My <laughs> breasts are pretty... I mean, sizable. Well, Look at that. Look at that shake, Ben. Like I mentioned before, you don't have to go to the gym if you're just going to walk. Why don't you just go for a walk? I have been lately. Okay. Yeah, that's neither hither there. No, nah, here we are. <laughs> I'm just trying to fuck with your structure as much as I can. <laughs> I know you are. Um, Book boys! Oh, that's in the middle of the show, man. Yeah. Well, now I you can't do it at the end. We'll see. <laughs> I hate your punk rock approach to podcasting. <laughs> One of the details that technically don't matter, but they do kind of bug you as you're reading it. Like, for yeah. me, it was the housing and stuff. Like, why are they in a warehouse that would totally yeah. rusted out and collapsing? Yeah. Why are, you know, why don't they just pick a house they can maintain? How come they're going into all these houses that are probably collapsed? And in your case, you're like, how come they don't have an unlimited supply of jackets and pants and yeah. shoes and that yeah. kind of thing? So I know they're, they're, they're little points that um, do kind of nag at somebody, you while you're reading. Somebody in the symphony, he lost his glasses a few years back. You can get a prescription. I know. Like, you just go rifle through yeah. <laughs> like a glasses store until you find one that's yeah, close. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, so... Well, anyways, uh, that's how they meet the prophet is when they perform and they do their play, everyone applauds, and then the prophet stands up and starts speaking while everyone's applauding so that now suddenly they're just applauding for him. And that's when they realize, ah, it's getting weird here. here. And then all the stuff about can't find Charlie and everything. So, Anything else you want to say about section two? Well, since we're talking about tattoos, she also has tattoos of knives. Two knives. Two knives. One for each kill. Later on, she's, man asks, what's with those knives? She goes, you know what those you knives are for. Those you knives shut the yeah. fuck up. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's killed two people. That's what it stands for. Yeah. Sometimes people get a lot of knives. Yeah. Even when they run into Charlie and uh, and uh, Jeremy later, they got knife tattoos. Section three. Back to Arthur Leander. Kind oh, of I thought a, we already were on section three. Nah, that's section two. I thought you said you were going to keep it brief. I was trying to, but then you started really talking a lot. <laughs> This is you fucking with the layout, with yeah. the, uh, the structure. Have fun editing. Basically, this it's all about Miranda and uh, You're Arthur. you be up all night editing this. Their lives together. Yeah, I'm not going to shut up. <laughs> 
she's basically, it's how she met. She was with a guy whose name was Pablo, and he's an artist like Picasso. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Pablo's an asshole. He's an asshole. He's abusive. He's a drunk. Uh, he doesn't sell paintings anymore, so he's kind of living off of her. She works as a receptionist, and that's when she's working on Station Eleven, so we learn about that. Uh, then that's when she meets Arthur, who loves talking with her when his mom forces him to hang out with her because they're from the same town. And one thing is, you start to figure out uh, in this that Arthur... As he gets more famous, he's losing his identity. He's sleepwalking, which there's a theme later. And his one way of trying to maintain some kind of an identity or credibility within himself is to constantly refer to the small town he grew up in. And she's part of it, so then he wants to sit and talk. And he's like, nobody gets it when I talk about the stars or talking about how you have to take a boat to school. Or how tall the ferns are. Yeah, exactly. That was a whole thing where talking about the ferns were like four feet tall when I was three years old. I'm like, well, that's just because you were short. Yeah. But... Oh, that's when they have their uh, their big third wedding anniversary because um, we have been jumping around. One thing I noticed is out of all the guests, Elizabeth Cotton, Gary Heller, Clark Thompson, there's one that just goes by the name Tesh, yeah. a woman. And uh, Miranda's not sure if Tesh is the first name or the last name or it's just... Yeah, finds it really pretentious that Tesh only uses one name. I also have a single name that I could use if I wanted to. I don't know if I ever told you this. I was at a party where a bunch of local underground hip-hop guys were at, and we're all okay. sitting around having beer in the kitchen and drinking and talking and stuff, and they all got really cool nicknames. Okay. And I said, I know this is a dumb thing to ask because I can't just have a nickname. It's got to be kind of given to me by people. But if you could give me a nickname, theoretically, what would you give me? And then one guy goes... So there's one guy who's been sitting in the back who has yeah. all the joking and talking. He's just been dead silent, sipping out a beer. He's really tall and stuff. Just impending looking guy, just standing there dead quiet. So all of them are talking, and this one guy goes, you look like you do that thing where you live-action role-play Dungeons & Dragons. What do they call that? Another guy goes, LARPing. And he goes, LARP. I'm going to call you LARP. Nice. Then the tall guy in the back goes, he, he finally speaks. This None of this is made up. This is totally true. He, he finally speaks, and he says, it ain't easy being Larpeasy when you're taking D&D to the streets. <laughs> wow. I was dying, so my nickname after that was Larpeasy. <laughs> Sweet. Can I, can I ask who, the, uh, who these people were, what I've heard of them? I've never heard of them. Oh. I don't know, so I can't oh. tell you the name. Maybe you have heard of them, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. I could always ask my friend whose name I'm not going to say out loud. I'm like, who the hell were those people? And then he can tell me. Maybe you know. Yeah, whatever. I'm just curious. But, uh, if I ever find it, we'll have to talk to him. I have to reach out to him and be like, hey, are you sick and dying? How are you doing? And uh, then I'll be like, uh, sorry to hear that you got the coronavirus. Who's that group at that one party that one time? <laughs> My friend Ben is dying to know. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. So I got, an, I got a single name. Okay. Uh, anyways, Miranda goes out with her dog. She notices that her husband is cheating on her with Elizabeth Kyle Colton. Yeah. Who uh, is a very pretty lady who gets very drunk pretty. and spends the night, and that's kind of the end of that. And then they end up getting married. Yeah, they do later. Uh, that's when the interviews start happening. So suddenly it's like Kirsten, far in the future, is being interviewed in a town as she's wandering around by herself. Yeah, one of these towns, a guy decided to start a newspaper. So to kind of document people's stories yeah. of the before times. So he's interviewing Kirsten for his yeah. newspaper. Section four. Yeah. Uh, back to the symphony. It's hot July weather. Uh, that's when they mention that the Kirsten's tattoo survival is insufficient, which is from Star Trek. Dieter hates tattoos because he's seen people die from infections from them. Uh, yeah. Then they find out they got a stowaway. And it's one of the little girls from the Prophet Town. Yeah. And she is she's, only 12? Yeah, and she's been promised to the Prophet as yeah. one of his many brides. So she's Because snuck. the Prophet uh, needs to repopulate the Earth. <laughs> yeah, he does. As prophets often need to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's part and parcel with the trade. Yeah. Uh, so she hid under the clothes or whatever. So now they're, they're debating and like, well, shit, now we got this prophet who's probably going to be following us. You know, what do we do? And they're like, well, we're not going to send her back. So I guess she's just going to come with us and, you know, don't do it again. Um, Dieter talks about dreaming about planes. So that's all symbolic. Uh, they decide to do a lookout. August feels like they're being watched. They hear a sound and all of a sudden they go and look and find that Dieter and Saeed are gone. The next morning they all go out to look for him. So. Yeah. But then they continue down the road to their next destination. Yeah, and, that's and they see the pond, so they go fishing. Mm-hmm. And then when they come back, there's some the caravan's gone. Yes, but they have a, a rule, which is everyone knows which town you're going to go to next, so they all kind of wait to group up there. There's separation protocol. There's separation protocol, Ben, which we're going to have to get, uh, plan by May. Yep. You and I are going to meet in 
Oakland. Okay. <laughs> if anything happens, I'll see you in Oakland. Don't okay. you go there and you wait for me. <laughs> I will. So they get separated from the group. Uh, they're about two days away. They come to a small town with a lot of bullet holes in cars. They see a guy named Finn. Yep. Who's got a scar on his face that looks kind of like a lowercase t. Uh, with a line nerd or whatever. And then they say, uh, hey, do you know about the prophet and stuff? And he's kind of tight-lipped. But then when he says that he's there with the, the traveling caravan, then he lightens up. He's like, oh, yeah, the prophet's horrible. The and, scar on his face was the same symbol that they saw in the town. Mm-hmm. So it was a symbol associated with the prophet somehow. Yeah, I didn't really catch what that symbol specifically represented. An airplane. That That's what somebody else was saying, but I don't know if that's officially it. Like, yeah. So we'll well, an airplane. For sure. Well, because as we find out later, the prophet came from the airport. Well, don't give that away, Ben. Well, I what do you, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I hate your punk rock attitude towards podcasting. <laughs> well, I, you, what am I supposed to do? I'm just supposed to... Let you talk like that and not <laughs> say something? I don't know. Like, what? Is this one of those same line of arguments like, I asked for it because of the way I'm dressed? You're the victim and I'm blaming you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so anyways, he explains, yes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then they wind up mentioning um, Arthur's book where he has... Uh, this one kind of confused me. He's got like a book of letters to a woman named V, just the letter V, like first initial. And it's a series of letters talking one-sided and how this V-woman never writes back. And it kind of didn't serve a purpose, except that later on, it's like, you find out he was kind of writing it like diary entries and he intended to publish it, and it's embarrassing for all of his ex-wives and friends. I don't know what the point of that was, but it does take well, up a lot of the story. Yeah, you got they those details it. all wrong. How so? Go ahead. Correct He didn't me. intend to publish, publish it at all. It was These were letters that he sent to a childhood friend of his called Victoria, and Victoria mm-hmm. published them to get paid. I swear Arthur later was on, not I swear later on he said that he wrote them as journal entries pretending that they're letters. He said he realized up. that he was not writing to Victoria as a friend anymore. He was just using her as his diary kind of. Oh, okay. Then so he felt bad about that. that. But then but this Victoria person had these letters that he wrote to her mm-hmm. and so she had them published. Oh, so she I thought he published them. Because he no, talked no. all about, like, well, I'm discre- discretion is what I'm known for. And everyone's like, well, screw you, discretion is what you're known for. Like, you publish this and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, so it's like this unauthorized book, and they get wind that it's going to be published. So mm-hmm. Arthur's just reaching out to Miranda, among other people, saying, yeah. like, hey, just a heads up, this book's coming out. Right. I didn't write it, but I wrote these letters, and I didn't say anything bad about you, but it's going to be a thing. So okay. brace yourself. Uh, and then at one point they're talking about Clark. Uh, he's interviewing uh, a person who's going to get reprogrammed or fixed or whatever as a manager um, or improved. Uh, and then that's when he gets talked about how, you know, what you're doing for a living, you can't really fix anyone and make them better. They're unhappy for their own reasons. And then one thing is that people are sleepwalking through life. They're not even aware of the things that make them so deeply unhappy. So that yeah. becomes a theme, the sleepwalking through life, which I think kind of applies to Arthur. Because yeah. he gets really offended when he meets up with Arthur at some point in the story. To have lunch and Arthur is just in acting mode. Like, he's not being himself. He's just kind of performing the role. Yeah, they're sitting at some restaurant in Toronto, like, yeah. days before Arthur dies. And yeah, yeah and he's obviously just looking around the room to make sure people are seeing him. Yeah, right. And that's sort of like a thing that keeps coming up, you know, more and more. Uh, and also the sleepwalking thing. Section 5. More about Arthur. He gives uh, Jeevan as an interviewer at that point. He's interviewing Arthur, and Jeevan doesn't know how to divorce his wife, so he tells Jeevan about it so that he can release the information, which will force yeah, him to tell Yeah, this his wife. section broadly is just kind of focusing on civilization collapsing. It's yeah. a lot of what's going on in Toronto because Jeevan is in Toronto and it's him surviving the. Yeah, which I thought was pretty interesting because they stayed in. Frank's apartment and Frank's in a wheelchair. Frank is Jeevan's brother. Oh, is his brother? I didn't know yeah, if it was his Yeah, his paralyzed brother. Uh, and they sit in the apartment, they lock it up, and they just get a bunch of food, and they stay there. As time goes on, people start doing stuff like trying to break in the door, but they can't get in, so they sit real quiet and yeah. don't, you know. And uh, then the hallways start to stink, probably because of corpses, I imagine. Yeah. And they have to do things like stop up the door with blankets and whatever and open up the windows. And yeah. then it reaches a point where they're like, okay, we got to go out. And then his brother, unless I got this mixed up, his brother says, because his brother actually like is in a wheelchair because he was shot like during a war. Yeah, he was a journalist, mm. and he got shot and 
yeah, Bosnia or something of spinal cord injury, so he was paralyzed on. Yeah. So he says, let me go out first, and then you can survive for yourself, I think, if I, unless I'm screwing that up. But it's like it's kind of like... Yeah, Jeevan was saying they back. have to leave the apartment and, yeah. and go venture out, and Frank is like, well, you're not going to get anywhere with me. Yeah, so let so, me go out, and you just survive on your own. Well, so he killed himself. Frank did. Did he actually go out and shoot himself, or did he just kind of go out and... No, he stayed inside and took a bunch of sleeping pills. Oh, yeah, that's right, because then he stayed to make sure his brother was dead. Yeah. I got that part confused. I just remember the conversation. I was like, so he's just going to go in his wheelchair and go over the rubble? No, it was <laughs> like, then let, you're let right. me go first. Go having uh, a difference. I thought he meant, but then, yeah, you're right, because there was, like, he even stuck around and waited for his brother to make sure he's really dead, and then he yeah. left. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this was after, uh, like, a month or two, I think, they were holed up in the apartment before he ventured out, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, because after 30 days, like there's, day the city's quiet and there's no running water. Yeah, it was like day 47 or day 58 or something when he went out. Yeah. Um, yeah, they see fires in the distance, all sorts of stuff. And so he just decides, okay, I guess I'm going to go out there. Uh, and then, like, gunfire happens every once in a while. So they're, like, convinced that there's, like, snipers and stuff. Yeah. Which, again, why? Yeah, that I mean, was... resources wouldn't be scarce at this point. Yeah. You wouldn't need to have a sniper in a building. Unless you're just crazy and you're just shooting yeah, people for fun. Be. But yeah. I don't know. Oh, the interviews kind of become a little bit pointless after a while because they start doing stuff like reminiscing about refrigerators. Yeah. Like, they kept things cold. And didn't they have a light inside? And, you know, the interviewer's like, yes, they also had a light inside. And it's like, that's kind of a lot of what you're reading. <laughs> so, I mean, it's still interesting. It wasn't bad or anything. But Yeah, one of the quotes from the interview is, the more you remember, the more you've lost. Oh. And that's, they kind of talk about how the kids in the future, the ones that were born after the collapse of civilization, don't even yeah. know what they're missing and should we even tell them about it, right. what the world used to be like. Yeah, didn't they have a discussion about like what they were teaching in their schools in yeah. one community? And it's like yeah. the kids just get frustrated when they hear about the past being so great. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Section six. Uh, that's where August starts talking about the multiverse theory, which then I was like, oh, like that there's multiple universes and yeah. whatever. And, and they're arguing like that sounds like science fiction. Like, no, it's science fact. But uh, then I was like, oh, so is is that sort of a thing? Like since they're dropping that hint or the author's dropping that hint in this story, does that mean that? this story takes place in a different dimension. Like this is one option of what could have happened sort of thing. I don't know. Cause in that, the multiverse thing kind of keeps going through the rest of the story. It's just a work of fiction. This isn't real on some level. Oh, maybe I guess in a different universe it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, more with Miranda and stuff, but Miranda goes to Malaysia for work. She travels a lot for work. This is where shit starts to come to a head. Yeah. Uh, she is out on a beach at one point, and then she goes back to her hotel. She starts to feel achy and sick and everything. Yeah. And, that um, she's dead by morning. Yeah, much. she winds up crawling her way out to a chaise lounge yeah. uh, in the lobby and dies right there on the spot. With a spectacular sunrise. That's right. She gets to see a spectacular sunrise before she closes her eyes and she's dead. Um, I do like that as she checks into the hotel, the uh, concierge is wearing a mask and just flat out is like, stay away from me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's and a sign of society class when the yeah. concierge is like, I don't do my job anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to wonder why he's still at the desk at that point. But. Yeah, exactly. Uh, section seven. Uh, this is where the uh, the ending starts to kind of, it starts to wrap up what's happening in the story. Because up and to this point, it's kind of a, not a loose connection of things, but... You're starting to there's, wonder, what is with Arthur? What is with, you know, these other... How is this all coming yeah, together? Yeah, there's little hints of how there's connections here, like the dog's name and yeah, stuff like that. Right. But yeah, this is where, like, all the characters yep. are tied together. That was my stomach. Wow. The taquitos. <laughs> are they not good for you? Well, if you have two and a half dozen, maybe not. What's going to happen to me, Ben? How did you eat that many? By the way? What, what, what time did you start thin eating? little things. You just sit there while you're watching the... Stupid movie I was watching on Netflix, and you start to keep shoving them in your mouth to fill up the emptiness. So, um, Clark is at the airport. So this is the airport, the Severn City Airport, which is where yes. the symphony is heading because they've heard there's people there, and there's a museum of civilization there. That yeah, heard we about. forgot to mention that because that's talked about over and over. And like, so they, they've nobody heard, knows what it is, but a few people are like, "Oh, I've heard about it." It's yeah, at the airport. So they're going there, and they they also. They were told that's where Charlie and Jeremy went when they mm-hmm. fled the prophets. Yep. So that's right. So um, we get the story of how the settlement came to be at the airport terminal, and yeah, I mean it, it, it jumps around through time, but uh, it's you know Clark saying, "Wow, it's so crazy that we measure things by year one, year two, year three since the incident, and how he's been in this museum for the last twenty years in Concourse B." But um, then it talks about how he. 
back in the past before the outbreak. He was in the airport waiting for a flight, but all of a sudden all the flights were canceled. Yeah. So um, this is just like Section 5 or whatever it was. talked about civilization collapsing in Toronto. And this is just another perspective at this airport. Yeah, in, they're doing in a lot of... Michigan or wherever the hell they are. That on the last few uh, just, sections. Uh, that's when the plane lands. Uh, they had mentioned it before, but this is where they tell the story of the plane landing and then like going off and quarantining itself and then like no one yeah. ever comes out. Um, as people start to kind of go into survivalist mode where they're like taking t-shirts from the gift shop and wrapping it around their face to try and stop the spread of the disease and then so anyway, go on well I was just gonna say there Clark was flying from New York to Toronto I think to meet up with Arthur was that what yeah I don't know what was I forget oh were they because no they're all in the Midwest at this point they're walking to the airport which has got to be in the Midwest it's got to be by yeah I know but they had come from New York why were they on the plane were they going to Arthur's funeral that might have been it. Yeah, I think I that's know. what it was. So anyway, Clark was going there, and he was on the same flight as Arthur's second wife, Elizabeth Colton. And, and another man named Trigg. What was his name? I was going to say a boy named Tyler. Is that <laughs> who we're talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Tyler being the <laughs> seven or eight-year-old son of Arthur and Elizabeth. Yes. Um, so they end up at this airport along with a couple hundred other people. Yeah, that are all trapped there. Because yeah, um, right off on after foot. they land, all the flights are canceled. Yeah, so some people take off on foot, so it kind of becomes this core group of people in the, in the terminal. So you see things that happen like teenagers asking for drugs, a Fexor, it's an antidepressant, because she's starting to go through withdrawals. Yeah. She expected to be able to get to town and get more, but now she's on her own. Um, but people yeah. going into survival mode, uh, then it's like... Uh, people they, think that they can hear voices inside that plane that pulled off to the side. So it's just kind of this nightmare scenario of people trying to survive by rifling through the gift shops to get yeah. food. Yeah, and then they it kind of paints a picture of how they settle into routines and kind of mm-hmm. build a new town there, basically, a new settlement. Yeah, um, they still have some weird things, like a TSA agent um, still has, like, weaponry and is constantly threatening the people, like, to stay in order and everything, but then I think he leaves. Well, he also goes deer hunting for them. Yeah, that's he right. He shoots a lot of deer. Comes back with deer. Uh, they keep shoveling the snow as wintertime hits, uh, just in case a plane's going to land. Yeah, they keep clearing the runways. Yeah. Um, well, because a couple of planes left after... The collapse. So well, there were happens. there were a couple of pilots. Yeah, there was group. two pilots that stayed there, and but one said, "Hey, I'm taking this plane to LA. Who wants to come with?" And another pilot took a smaller plane up to northern Michigan, but they never returned. Yeah, um, and it's weird how the pilots stayed for as long as they did because people start learning each other's languages. Someone gets raped and punished, like the rapist gets punished and sent yeah. out into the woods, and so all this stuff happens. And then at some point, like much later. The one pilot says, well, I'm taking off to L.A. Does anyone want to come with me? No, I think that was pretty quickly. Oh, I, got the, I have the impression it was much later. Um, but anyways, in whatever case, uh, he says, I'm going to L.A. Does anyone want to come with me? And then we'll send word back. Uh, they disappear. No one ever hears from them again. And then the second pilot says, I'm going to fly a plane out to go see if I can do reconnaissance and find yeah. out what happened in L.A. They disappear, too. So, so no one knows what happened. Anyway, that's why they're keeping the runway clear, because they think that they might return. Um, so we also learned that Elizabeth Colton is not in a great state of mind at this point and is kind of saying, oh, everything happens for a reason. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. Talking about the collapse of humanity. And then her son, Tyler, uh, is kind of taken after her and taking up the Bible. And we, we yeah. discover he is the prophet. Yep. He... He has apparently read a copy of Station Eleven, and he winds up tearing a page out of it that's like one specific page with one specific, and I kind of forget what it is, but it's like one scene that he winds up like making yeah. part of his philosophy. So we learn that Station Eleven. But he 11, also reads the, uh, he reads the. The Bible. Uh, but mainly Revelations, Revelations over and yeah. over and over and over again. The good part. And then finally he says, or then they, they wind up running into a group of religious people that are guided by voices to get to the, wherever they're going to go to survive. And then that's when Tyler and Elizabeth go with them. Yeah. So. And then he, he 20 leader. years later becomes the, the prophet. I like how they said that the when the boy, was, or I think the girl was explaining, the stowaway was explaining the prophet's arrival in town. Saying, well, at first they showed up on the water, like in boats or whatever, and they were really helpful. We didn't know how heavily armed they were. Which <laughs> 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 so that was pretty funny. Yeah. So anyways, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, and then Clark is still kind of reminiscing. At some point he decides he wants to start 
gathering up things like high heel shoes and, and other iPhones stuff and, and iPhones and, and iPads and, and make this museum, museum yeah. of, uh, of the, the before times. In the Delta Sky Miles Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got Edward shows up with his wife who's been shot looking for a dog. Who is Edward? Edward Cullen from Twilight. Edward Cullen's in this? Oh, boy. And this is just... Uh, this is He lives f- forever. I know. So, of course, he'll be in No, this. Edward's the guy... This is in G-Van. G-Van, who we haven't heard from in a while, is yeah. apparently like the town doctor at some town way south. He's like a thousand miles away. So, this is just... Oh, and Edward's one. Little, yeah. little vignette of his life. Right. Yeah, and they kind of don't... G-Van doesn't like tie it all up in a profound way or anything. It's just no, it's like, just he's showing this a point different it, And then it's just kind of like, here's how he kind of trails off into his life and yeah. whatever. They show up, the Traveling Symphony, or actually first it's uh, Kirsten and uh, August or whatever, show up at the airport. Yeah. And um, happy to see their friends, Charlie and uh, Jeremy. Uh, I guess Section 8. Well, they get reunited with the... So Dieter and... Saeed. Saeed disappeared earlier. They found out that they were kidnapped by the Prophet's gang. Um, Dieter died. Mm-hmm. Saeed isn't doing great. And then at some point, we didn't mention that uh, somebody else got kidnapped from the symphony. Uh, Dieter died because when they were doing chloroform over his face, he reacted badly to yeah. it. And then Saeed, uh, they wound up, like, they see him walking. He's, like, filthy and whatever, and he's walking down the road. And then further behind, I guess, is where they... Like the prophet and his dog, and everyone is. So they well, hear the like dog barking. Well, there's like a group barking. of yeah. There's like a group of six, like the prophet and five of those guys. So yeah. I think like a couple of them are walking with Saeed, and then the prophet is kind like of a half mile them. back or something. Yeah. And so they. But I like that they, August and Kirsten see Saeed and they kill his captors and escape. But they yeah. know the prophet's after him. But did they stop and talk for a while, and then they fought somewhere, and then the di- the deaths actually happened. I don't and remember. Then, I don't remember for sure. No, because then that's when she floats over the prophet, finds out it's uh, Tyler, and sees his one page. Because he does, and I forget what the quote was, but he does quote that page from Station Eleven. From, like, the first page of it, yeah. But yeah. she's read the whole book. Yeah, so, so she's she, reciting she, it back. She recites it back, but then she can't tell if he understands what she's saying, like, if he knows. Yeah. And then, but he gets angry, and he's about to shoot her, and that's where they finish off the whole thing. Well, and then she so looks and finds out he's only got one page, and that's why he probably was frustrated that she knew more than he did, maybe. And yeah, so the prophet was about to kill Kirsten, but then one of the prophet's followers killed the prophet, and then killed himself. That's right. I forgot about that. There was a was it the same little boy that was the sentry from earlier that was like when they yeah leave, he's like make gravestones and yeah that. he's like a fourteen year old kid with a machete and yeah and he was bragging to them about how like apparently. we're really good at sneaking around you'll never know when we kill you that yeah. kind of thing and then yeah. all of a sudden when the prophet's about to shoot her he shoots the prophet then he turns a gun on himself and kills himself yes I didn't understand that part yeah he was an unhappy kid yeah all right. Um, oh, it was the clarinet player who didn't like Shakespeare. So she was somebody we forgot to mention. She, I forget her name, but she disappeared earlier in the story with yeah, Saeed and everybody okay. else. And they found this note that she had written. But the paper oh, looked so it, old that yeah. it was like looked like it was a year ago that she wrote it. And it was like, I'm going into the forest. You'll never see me again. Yeah, so they thought it was a suicide note, but it wasn't. No, we find out later that, I mean, after this whole battle thing happens, they find out that it's like she was so sick of doing Shakespeare that she was going to write her own play but she couldn't get past the opening line and that's what that was so didn't really understand the point of that but get to the airport section 9 oh it's back to Arthur again his last day so they kind of played through his last day they explain why uh, she has this copy of Station Eleven and also a paperweight which I never really understood it was beautiful (laughs) so they explain how she got that basically that like Arthur gave her the paperweight and the book and stuff and uh, then they talk about his death. Uh, like as the play begins, they make he. There's a part where he points out how weird it is to both be in the play and on the outside, on the edge of the stage watching the play begin. Uh, but then he starts to have his stroke or whatever, his heart attack, and um, then he falls to the ground and he remembers Jeevan running up and looking at the fake snow and remembering that's beautiful. So just like uh, Miranda seeing the sunset before she dies he's seen this like snow yeah and I'm sure the snow symbolizes something because that's kind of a running theme throughout the book anyway also we should mention that uh, when they get to the airport Clark uh, brings Kirsten up into the control tower yep gives her a telescope and tells her to look off into the distance and they can see that lit street some town yeah some town's got the power back on so electricity so there's hope for civilization after all but uh, yeah he's oh he tried to show her the museum yeah for 20 years 
He's like, oh, you got to check this out. I've been doing this for 20 years. She's like, I'm tired. I'll do it tomorrow. And he's like, fine, come up to the tower with me. I have something to show you. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of it, he's dusting the items in his museum, and he sees uh, the book because she donated the Station Eleven book to his museum. Yeah, so, the, yeah, the book closes. The symphony's left. The symphony <clears throat> has left the orchestra, and Clark is... Yeah, they're going to go to the city with the lights. Yep. Yeah. And he opens up the book, and he recognizes himself in a dinner scene. Because Miranda had drawn the dinner, uh, yeah. the similar dinner scene. Uh, he wonders what she's up to, uh, and then he starts to wonder if other places have other lights and what else will be returning. So yeah, that's the end of the book. Ben, yeah, what did you think of the book? Well, I'm curious what you thought too. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I uh, this is this is the type of book I normally would read. Like I said, this is one that was on my to read list anyway, so mm-hmm. um, it was timely because of current events. But yeah, this is the sort of thing I'd normally go for. So I liked it. Yeah, I was curious if you'd like it or not because I think you usually have stated a preference for older books. You, I think, have said oh, no. that I read newer books than you do, or something. I don't know. Is that? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, in the past when I read a lot more. Um, I always kind of read classics because if I read newer books, I was always disappointed. Okay. Um, but these newer oh, you books would be like reading mid two thousand. The right books. Okay. Yeah, most likely I wasn't. I was just stumbling across the bad ones. So like books like Station Eleven, I never stumble across books like that, okay. and no one ever recommends them to me. I always get the huh. weird Oprah referral. Like my friends oh. be like, "Oh, I read this book." I'm like, yeah. "Where'd you hear about it, Oprah?" I'm like, "I'm not gonna read that." I'll give you some book referral. Is that what you want? Is that what this is all about? You're just trying to get book recommendations from me? Yeah, I went through the whole process of ten months of us you into a night of drinking where you would say we should do a podcast but I led you to that yeah. point, which was hours of work and uh, then I spent here we are. almost a year doing this podcast with you just to get the book referrals. And now we finally got one good book we've been a year so later almost books. I know we're almost a year um, later but, but yeah generally it's just whatever, contemporary literary fiction yeah and what it's really is, good and that's what um, I read and, and you could tell it's good because you don't like all the other books that we read I get fatigued yeah don't worry about that don't worry about the warning message on your screen here. It's because it's a work computer. This is an app that my work puts on there and just harasses you about. It's really dumb. Wait, wait, wait. You're using company resources for personal use? My company forgot this thing exists. But the, oh, map, the Apple it's computer... It's okay to steal things from the company as long as they don't remember? The world's ending, Ben. This is one of those uh, resources that are unlimited right now. I'm, gonna I'm just starting up. early. Yeah, I'm going to stock up on shoes. I went to get an Apple TV... Just so, because I knew my kids were going to be home all the time. I'm like, fine, yeah. let's get an Apple TV, and they can just run that thing. And so I went to Micro Center. People, the line was so huge, and everyone was buying tons of laptops. Really? Why? I'm not kidding. Like, I, one guy had, uh, two guys next to each other had shopping carts full of laptops. That's weird. Like, they each had to have had, like, five to ten laptops. I wonder, are they... I was like, maybe they're like small to medium sized business owners. And I thought the same stocking thing. Stocking up for their employees. Yeah. So I, it was weird. But and everyone else was also buying a lot of tech gear. But the line was going around the perimeter of the store. Like when I walked in, there was people in line. And I'm like, what the hell? And it like the line goes from where I first walked in down across the back wall, back all the way up, zigzags like so a snake. So you didn't and then, wait in that line then, did you? Or what did you do? Um, I waited in that line. How long did that take? About an hour. Jeez. And all I was getting was one tiny little Apple TV. Why didn't you just <laughs> order that online and wait two Because I needed it that day so the kids would stop going stir-crazy wow. and have something to do. Neither here nor there. Well, kind of. A little bit. Every other book I read, I get fatigued. The bad ones. Yeah. Uh, and not that Golden Compass was bad, but it just wasn't as like interesting to me. Three books of it was a lot. Yeah, and I was getting really fatigued. Like, I would get through the first book, I was kind of okay. The second yeah. book, like, halfway through, I was like, oh, fucking hurry up. Like, I just want to be done. I want to, like, do my lawn and yeah, stuff. And yeah. so, and I had that with Twilight, where I'm just like, this is. Well, Twilight is terrible. So painful. It's, it's like terrible. locking me in a room and having, like, a drop of water yeah. on my head for hours. But well, um, this one, I did not notice the time pass, and I totally enjoyed it. I'm glad I. Yeah, you, did a good, you picked out a good one, Ben. Okay. I mean, I don't know how good that's going to be for. The show podcast purposes but could be the most boring show in the world. Well, might be. I mean, we've already been babbling for an hour and a half just to try yeah. to shore up some good well, content. I mean, you said you were going to keep it brief, but you didn't. 
It's going to get edited. <laughs> and I did keep it brief. You kept jumping in with content. Yeah, fuck your structure. My structure would have been fine if you would just kept your mouth shut. I would have got through each station real fast, and then we would have been having this conversation. Okay. I hate your punk rock approach to podcasting. What did you think? I took from this an overall theme of it's very character development heavy, but not laborious. Like, Stephen King is a really good writer, but I never like his stories because... Um, it's like 75% of the book is all character development, and then you get and the then, plot. Yeah. This actually has plot going all the way through it, so yeah. you never get bored or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it seems that it's like the the theme of Arthur, He's if, if there's a message to this book, what's the message? I guess Arthur doesn't really have a point because he's not part of the end times, but he has some point because he's like major through the entire thing. So is it that people are sleepwalking through life is a big theme going? And he was I, definitely yeah, somebody who was. That's a big one. I think the yeah, like the way he treats his wives and stuff. He never learns his lesson. He never grows as a person. And then the world ends, and this one character, the protagonist, is obsessed with this guy, Kirsten. Kirsten, yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. Well, I think part of it was just contrasting how Kirsten and Tyler's paths differed so much. Yeah, that's Both came from the same place, or roughly the same age mm-hmm. they both you know Tyler did not get along well with his father Arthur Kirsten had nothing but fond memories oh, of this sure. guy from the little bit that she acted with him and mm-hmm. he gave them both the same comic book and they had such vastly different takeaways and oh, interpre- interpretations and mm-hmm. took different paths from a similar starting point when the world collapsed so yeah that's just the contrast there was one of the takeaways. And yeah, that's a good one. I didn't think about that. That's yeah, good. and like you said, sleepwalking through life, both in present day or in the future, <clears throat> saying just surviving isn't enough. And that can apply 20 years in the future or it can apply that's right, a right good now point, in modern then. day. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Are we so all just surviving like, right now? I was wondering, like, the so the after um, virus, like the end of the world scenario, you're learning about the before. Uh, and Arthur and how the big theme is that he's taking life for granted. He's, you know, just kind of like a zombie, just doing whatever and never learning. Yeah. Never, he's never happy and whatever. So then it's like the after part. So what would be different from before? I wasn't really catching on to what's different, but I guess you're right. It's like to some degree, what would it be? They're not sleepwalking as well, are they? No. I who, mean, you got the... Who, who, when, what? The character is after the plague. No, I think that's part of the... Is, I think... Because I think Clark before the plague was kind of sleepwalking also. And that's kind of the theme of the he, before time. Yeah, and now he's got his museum that he's carrying after, and there's the guy in the other town who started the newspaper and this traveling symphony. Mm-hmm. So the theme of the modern or whatever, like the theme of the after virus would be that people are improving after spending well, thousands of years sleepwalking. Well, yeah, I think so. And it just it highlights the importance of thriving instead of just surviving and and also culture. And, yeah. And also there's the, uh, was it Elizabeth talking about like, well, this, everything gets better, right? Like this is just temporary. So that's kind of like a, that was, that was a statement that came up more than once. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, so is that sort of the theme of what's going on here? Like this is just sort of yeah, popping, I think so. I think that's popping why a pimple and this, and then things get better afterwards. Kind of like that's what's happening now is the disruption before things get better. Yeah. And I think that's why the book closed how it did with them. How does this Seeing t- the town off in the distance that had the power back on. and Right. Improvement. And yeah. How does this tie into Jesus Christ? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is a Christian book, right, Ben? You know, I didn't look at the publisher. Like, you gave me a Christian book, right, Ben? I mean, if that's your takeaway, then yes. I didn't read a Christian book, but maybe you did. <laughs> See, that's, that's just like uh, this... The Station Eleven comic in the book, the actual book <laughs> Station Eleven, we have vastly different takeaways. Maybe <laughs> yeah. well, you're, I thought it was your time Tyler travel for the longest yeah. time. <laughs> then, then, like towards the end, I'm like, oh, it's like a book about Jesus. I get it. Uh, okay. So, well, there you go, Ben. That was interesting. Thanks for the recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to react on when we do a show with a book that we don't completely hate. Uh, George Saunders was one that was better, so it was less to complain about, except for the repetition of the short stories. Yeah, but otherwise, the writing individually of itself is fine. And this, this is one just, was just good all just the way a through. Really good book. Do yeah. you want? Do you want me to bring some books for you, like to what? read? No, I got a books Kindle. that you might like. Just tell me the names of them, and then I will read them oh, on my you, Kindle. You just refuse to hold paper anymore. No. Okay. Because if I'm reading on my Kindle, oh, oh okay. I gotta go take a shit. 
Ah, I'm on my phone. Oh, I can use the Kindle on my phone. If I'm at work, which I hopefully won't be anytime soon, I can read while taking shit at work. Okay. I can read anywhere without having to haul a big book and sneak it into the men's room at work and then open it up. And how many times a day are you taking a shit? I take them a lot. It's kind of how I take breaks. Wow. Like, I'm not pooping really all the time. But I'm in there a lot. <laughs> I give myself I, 10 to 15 minutes every visit. And I have a lot of visits. Okay. It's the only way I can uh, stay sane. Plus, I love the battle that you get to have with the, if there's somebody in the stall next to you. Well, now you're working from home. You know, Are you still going well, to the I bed? I got that, that new cat. <laughs> so if I'm taking a dump and the new cat's kind of staring at me, I love the tension. Okay. <laughs> the push and pull of... Who's the alpha here? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some book recommendations, I guess. Give me some book recommendations, yeah. or we could read them for the show. Well, I don't know. Oh, well, ones you've already read, though. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's part of the problem. Um, but we're okay. going to read Flowers in the Attic. Do you know anything about that book? Because I don't. You told me it's about incest. Mm, that's the only thing I know about it. I remember yeah. my grandma had a copy of it when I was a kid, and I go to visit, and I said, oh, what's this? Because it it's a gothic horror Okay. Um, made in the 70s. And I said, what's this about? This looks spooky. And she goes, don't you read that. Oh. <laughs> so and ever course, since you've been wanting to read Every it? time she ever left her room, I go in there and I'd start reading. And I'm like, I can't read fast enough because I was like seven. Okay. <laughs> eight years old. Who knows? So, yeah, we're going to find out. All uh, right. It could be teen literature for all we know. It could be uh, some people love it. And the people I know that love it are people that don't read good books. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the only hint we have of the quality of the right. story. I'm also, the author, apparently I looked up on Wikipedia, the author has written, just like every author, you write one good book, that's it, you should be done. Station Eleven, good book. If there was Station Eleven Part Two, The Quickening, I would be so annoyed. No, I think she writes. So she does have a new one coming out, apparently. Wait, does it have anything to do with the first book? No, I don't That's so. what makes just her a good author. Book, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, this Flowers in the Attic, I guess there's four more books after it that are all related to it. It's like all oh. part of a big story. So it's just like okay. Harry Potter and it's just like the Gold Compass and, and Twilight. Twilight. That's like, oh, I got one. That was my career now. And they keep cranking out more. Okay. Uh, so Flowers in the Attic is all right. potentially okay. just going to be horseshit. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I know. And then On the Beach could just be boring. It could be like uh, The Crystal Singer. Okay. Well. But we'll find out. And then back to Twilight. Or, <laughs> yeah, probably back to Twilight then. And then... Choose your own adventure. Or a grocery store book. If yeah. we go to the grocery I, store together. I know, if there's any open. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we go in in hazmat suits as we're thumbing through the grocery store books. I kind of want to read a mystery. Not like Agatha Christie, but like modern day grocery store book that's some sort of romantic mystery. I'm, I'm down. All right. So we got to figure that one out. Well, but we, we got go to go to the grocery store together and pick one out. It's going to be a it's gonna be a thing. It's going to be a process. What kind of grocery store? Yeah, what's, um... Go to Cub, right? They have books. No, we're going to go to Cub. We're going to go someplace classy. Kowalski's, they really dress it up in there, make it look real, real fancy. They're going to have a great book selection for okay. all those wealthy uh, Karens that live out in the suburbs <laughs> that uh, are like, I, I only get my books when I'm buying groceries. And so they're going to, we'll, we'll find something okay. good there. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I actually inhaled some spit. That's the reason why that happened. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that was it for that. Are you going to scream book boys a second time? No, I did time? that in the middle of the show. No, well, thank you very much. Don't. I can see your lips twitching. I was just going to talk about structure. <laughs> you hate the structure. It's the only thing that gets us through the books like Twilight. Hey, do you remember when Edward and uh, Bella bargained over whether they're going to get you married someday or not? You can't quit that book, can you? Because You're it's still like PTSD. About it. I still think about it because it was uh, drilled into my head for days and days and days. For hours. I put, it, I put it out of my mind. I don't know. You'd do good in a war scenario. Because you'd be in the middle of it. You'd watch your friends die around you. And then yeah. you'd just like go eat a sandwich afterwards. My morals are flexible. That's the reason why you're not a Christian. Mine aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. 